So we can begin to meditate together. And this practice of meditation can take place in any of the postures that we move through during the day. We can walk jangram, walking meditation, and develop samadhi in that posture. While standing, we can develop samadhi. If our mindfulness is strong and clear, then even lying down, if we maintain that mindfulness, we may develop samadhi. However, this practice of sitting, this posture of sitting and meditating with our spine erect, our right foot on top of our left, our hands uh, centered, this is an important posture in the practice of meditation. It is an essential aspect of the practice. As we sit here, we should try to let go of our thinking or proliferation, papancha, and bring it or cleanse it out of our hearts, our minds. We should try to bring our awareness to focus only on our kamatana or meditation object. That is the one sensation or impression that we've taken as our basis for developing samadhi as we practice. We bring and support our mindfulness on this object by using vitaka vichara, which are the first two enlightenment factors, directed thought and evaluation. So we can bring our mindfulness to the breath, for example. And in time with the breath, we can repeat the meditation word budo, reciting bud on the inhale and do on the exhale. And this is the act of bringing vitaka vichara directed thought and evaluation to bear on the meditation object of our breath. We use the meditation word Budo. We use thought to support our mindfulness on our main object. Similarly, we can count the breaths in pairs, uh, in and out, one, one, two, two, and so on. Or if we need to bring our mind to calm when it's especially restless, we might find it's useful to count very quickly on the inhale, counting one, two, three, four, five, and then on the exhale, similarly counting one, two, three, four, five. If the mind is wandering away from the breath, then using this counting method can be very helpful. As the chitta gathers, as the mind gathers and calms, then pity or rapture may arise and samadhi, lucid calm, may strengthen. This is what allowed the Buddha to gain such radical insight. He had developed 
strong powers of samadhi or concentration, extremely refined levels of jhana. And not only did this allow him to see the Four Noble Truths and achieve enlightenment, but it also granted him substantial abilities. He could know the hearts and minds of others and see many things that those with just ordinary faculties would be blind to. Such powers of concentration and the abilities that come from them were not confined to only the Buddha. One disciple of the Buddha was renowned for his ability to know where those who had passed away had been reborn. He could tell the fate of the dead. And people would come from all over to ask him where their loved ones had passed to. This ability came from his refined samadhi, his powerful ability to gain concentration. And as one example of the special psychic powers which can originate from abilities of concentration at this level. The Buddha noted that the jhanas and samadhi can lead to such miraculous powers, to such miracles. One might walk on water, float on the air, but he was careful to emphasize that the most significant and powerful of all the miracles that one may gain from practice was the ability to teach. And this was the miracle that he valued the most. The Buddha had the ability to show others the Dhamma. He had the ability to bring them into the dispensation, to lead them towards a vision of the Dhamma and towards awakening. This was a miracle. He could lead people out of suffering. Other disciples of the Buddha, other well-known monks and nuns, had similar psychic abilities coming from power, their powers of concentration. One, for example, used his psychic abilities to fetch the bowl uh, that was far distant from him. And this miraculous feat of managing to summon uh, a bowl of a rich merchant nearby spread the news of it spread among the population of the town and people curious about it came and wanted to pay respects to this monk and see him but such attention led to restlessness and a generally chaotic environment 
and did not translate into those people being interested into the, in the Dhamma itself. Rather, they were only looking for a show of miraculous power. And so the Buddha, in his wisdom, forbade his monks and nuns to display their psychic powers to laity. Rather, he praised constantly this ability to teach, to impart the Dhamma. And this is why he is known in his epitaph as Sata Deva Manusanang, the teacher of devas and humans. And the first moment when he took on this role as the Buddha in a meaningful way was when he decided to go teach the five ascetics, his five former companions, following his enlightenment. He walked to where the five companions were staying. And at first, they were dismayed and unwilling to show respect, thinking that the Buddha had reverted to a life of luxury and did not deserve their reverence. However, the Buddha exhorted them, reminding them that he had never before claimed enlightenment, whereas now he was. And in their wisdom, they realized that in fact he never had before claimed such awakening. And so they relented, showed respect, and were willing to receive with humility his teaching, Anya Kondanya especially, their leader, understood this and with humility listened to the Buddha's first discourse, the Dhammachaka Pavatana Sutta. Before this, the Anya Kondanya had built great paramita or spiritual qualities not only in previous lives, but even as a child, a high-ranking Brahmin, he had given up his wealth to go forward as a renunciant and practice meditation. Having heard from the diviners of the Buddha's fortune, or the Bodhisattva's fortune, Siddhartha Gotama, as a young prince, that the young prince would go forth and become a Buddha, he had lent ear, believed them, and determined to try and his best and follow his uh, companion, Siddhartha Gotama, the Bodhisattva, in his quest. So he practiced following the Buddha or the Bodhisattva before he was a fully awakened Buddha and managed to develop substantial powers of samadhi. And this meant that when he was exposed to the Buddha's first discourse on the Four Noble Truths, he had the stability of mind to see clearly the Buddha's message and to gain radical insight. The Buddha taught at this time and in the future following it, the Four Noble Truths. He taught of suffering. He taught that all 
conditioned things are suffering. For example, this body, any posture we retain for too long a time becomes a source of pain. If we stand for too long, we become uncomfortable. If we sit for too long a time, it becomes excruciating. If we lie down even for too extended a period, we suffer. All things are dukkha. And not only this, but all conditioned things are changeable and shifting. Anya Kondanya, listening to this discourse, understood these qualities of changeability, of suffering, and understood that whatever has the nature to arise has the, also has the nature to cease. And with this insight, attained stream entry and sadhama. Nothing was an accident. Nothing is an accident. All things come from causes. And Anya Kondanya had, sung, uh, had cultivated the correct conditions in his mind, the abilities of samadhi to the level that when he heard this teaching, he was able to attain the first stage of enlightenment. So we also must create such causes. We must practice. The Dhamma has been taught. It's laid out for us to see. Everything is ready for us. If we have samadhi and hear the teaching, then we can see the Dhamma. The fact that we are unable now to gain such insight is due to the fact that our powers of concentration are not yet strong enough. We are like people with severe eye problems. Although we are trying to open our eyes, we can't yet see forms. And so such a person might go to the doctor and receive medicine and treatment Little by little, their sight would return and they would see clearly. Our situation is similar. The Dhamma is everywhere around us. All conditioned things are anicca, anatta, and dukkha, changeable, not self, and suffering. But we can't see. Instead, we have wrong view, are blinded by wrong view. We see everything in terms of self, of me and mine. And this is Sakaya Ditti, self-view, one of the first three fetters which are shed at stream entry or the first vision of enlightenment. These three fetters are Sakaya Ditti, Silapata Paramasa, and Vichagicha, that is self-view, attachment to rites and rituals, and doubt. If we have lucid calm, if we have samadhi, then with wisdom we may break through and drop and shed these fetters, seeing dhamma. However, first we must focus on the basics. We must develop and maintain our sila or ethics, 
we must develop our mindfulness, our sati. We must practice, endure. We must develop patience. And this is difficult, but it is utterly worthwhile. The essential thing is that we have a goal in this life and that we follow it with all of our hearts. We should chant every day, bring to mind the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha in such chanting. And if we do this, then we can expect this faith in the Triple Gem to enter deeply into our minds and hearts. And following this, if we even hear the names of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, then rapture or pity will arise and the mind will become peaceful. In the time of the Buddha, the rich merchant Anattapindaka experienced just this. Hearing the name of the Buddha for the first time, hearing of him, he was overcome with rapture. And this was because he had in previous times practiced and cultivated such faith. If we develop the meditation object of Budo, if we think frequently on the triple gem, then we too may develop such faith and causes in ourselves. So just as Anya Kondanya saw that all things were changeable, not self and suffering, so we must practice in order to see the same. The life that we are born into is a precious opportunity and we must use it as best we can. If we must practice, if our minds are restless, chant in our hearts quickly or chant in your heart quickly. If we feel we only have a little bit of paramita or spiritual perfections, then this is all the more reason to work to develop them now as best we can. We have the opportunity to practice near Akruba Ajahn, a well-developed teacher. And such an opportunity is profoundly valuable, even if we have small spiritual faculties or underdeveloped spiritual faculties at this point, the fact that we are near someone who knows the path means that our practice can progress quickly. Longpur Cha said this, that even one who has not developed very far, if they are near a teacher who has knowledge, can progress quickly. There's no need to doubt. Rather, practice continuously. So, we are coming up to Asalaha Puja, the day commemorating the first teaching of the Four Noble Truths in the Dhamma Chakapavatana Sutta. And we should recollect the power of this teaching and that if we have spiritual perfections developed from previous times, we may be able to achieve enlightenment in this very life. And if not this life, then perhaps the next. Regardless, 
Our duty is to practice with all of our hearts in great sincerity. We practice with our body, speech, and mind. And just as we chant every day, we give our lives to the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. We give ourselves as servants of the Triple Gem. This is the greatest act of veneration, to practice selflessly and with all of our hearts. Such practice will lead to a vision of the Dhamma. It will lead to the dropping of the three fetters. It will lead to awakening. We will see the Dhamma in everything. And this will mean that we see the Buddha in everything too. Whether we are from Thailand or foreign countries, we have the ability to enter into Buddha, the one who knows. And the Buddha is in all things. So today is July 4th, and I urge you all to give yourself to the practice as much as you can, as much as you're able. <laughs>